0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara
1: Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Betty Guadagno, who was an atheist that discovered during her near-death-like experience that she is a spiritual soldier. Betty, thank you for joining us and welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm so pumped to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. Betty, if you don't mind, would you like to start on the day that it happened or do you need a little backstory?
0: Yeah, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, give you a little bit of background about myself. Um, So I grew up in like a very dysfunctional, chaotic home where spirituality was not part of the picture. Uh, It's a whole family line of poverty and addiction, molestation, incest, rape, really dark stuff. And so I started using drugs when I was really young to cope with some of the, just the the experiences that I was having in my life. And um, I got really strung out very young and continued that way throughout my life. So God didn't fit into that picture at all. Uh, in 2007, my parents were active addicts and in 2007 they made a decision and committed suicide together. I was 23 when that happened. My sister was 18. We found them. And, you know, that moment of that experience was just like, I felt like a victim my whole life, you know, like I had had a lot of trauma happen to me as a child, a young adult. And then I had this experience happen. And, I wore it as like a cape of victimization. You know, like I can do whatever I want whenever I want because this really heinous thing has happened to me and you can't tell me what I can do. You know, I had no way of coping with my experience because of what my experience was. And I decided that I wasn't gonna be a victim anymore. You know, like I knew that I could use this as an excuse to do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted but I was gonna be the perpetrator in life like after this happened, you know, like I was no longer going to let anything hurt me. I was going to be the abuser in people's storylines. And so my life really transformed in a super dark way. And, you know, I have some language for it today, then I didn't, but I had really become immersed in my own shadow. And I was very manipulative, very angry, very mean, very, yeah, just not, not a good person. I caused a lot of harm. And my addiction, it progressed uh, like a lot over the course of my life, you know, like it ebbed and flowed, it contracted and expanded. And my life became really unmanageable in the end. I had been using drugs for over 25 years. And in the last couple of years of my active addiction, I really just became like a dumpster for anything that would make me not feel like myself. And I started smoking methamphetamine. And if you don't have any experience with that drug, It was invented in Nazi Germany and Hitler was on meth and it's genocidal. It's insane. And it made my life just completely vanish before my eyes, you know, and um, I was hanging out with a lot of colorful characters because I myself was a colorful character and somebody ended up dosing me and they gave me an overdose of hallucinogens in a drink maliciously because that's the kind of life that i was living that someone would try to poison me to the point of lunacy because they wanted to get revenge on me for whatever i had done to them and at, when, when this dosing had happened it caused a series of spiritual awakenings to happen in my life but i didn't realize that at the time i just thought that i was dead i thought that i had slipped into death uh i was at a show and it was like a burlesque show kind of thing. And it was this troupe of female clowns and they were on stage. And I swear to you, it was a review of my life, you know and there was nothing to show for it. It was just lack and loss and sadness and grief and it was so dark. And you know, this is when I had the awareness that I must've died. I I thought that I was looking at a show of my life and, and I just kept saying out loud, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? What's next? And so I just acted as if I was stuck in purgatory and I and I just walked around like I was dead. I did any and everything that I wanted, you know, like, and, and the things that I wanted to do was use drugs, manipulate people, steal, lie, cheat. And that's what I did. And in March of 2019, I had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening, a near death-like experience. Uh, where all of my chakras opened up and I was transported to the space of heaven. Um, I'm going to take you through what that experience was like a little bit. So I was at the laundromat and I had given myself kind of like an overdose of hallucinogens myself. You know, like, again, I was living a kind of life where I just didn't want to feel any of my reality. And I went to go do my laundry and I thought I might as well get real messed up before I do it because I might as well be wavy for some mundane human task. I ended up at the laundromat and I realized that I had taken too much and just the fabric of reality started to crumble before me. The quarters felt like they were the size of my face and I was putting them into the machine and they were shrinking down. And then I started having these conscious thoughts like, how do I know what laundry is? How do I know that clothes get dirty? How do I know to do this? What am I doing here? And so I started to head home. I lived about six blocks from the laundromat and I would get to the corner and it would say Madison and Stuyvesant. And then I would walk to the next corner and it would say Madison and Stuyvesant again, and the next corner again. And it was like, I was stuck inside this loop. And then the whole world got washed in the brightest white light I've ever experienced. And all of the buildings around me crumbled to the ground. And all that was left was the green lines of matrix code that make up the buildings. And so then I really started to sprint home because I just like had no idea what was happening. I finally made it to my house. I entered the front door and I thought to myself, oh, I am dead. This is like the house in the Beetlejuice movie I can't remember how long it took me to get here. I can't remember what I'm doing here or you know how I got here, anything. So, and that's what happens in the movie Beetlejuice. I, I caught a gl- glimpse of my reflection in the mirror by the door and I had no idea who I was. And I got this sort of download of my mother's consciousness inside of mine. And I was looking at myself in the mirror and I said, what are we doing inside our daughter? And then this masculine voice came over me and it felt like it might have been my father's energy. And it was also kind of meshed in with every masculine energy I've ever encountered. And he reminded me of what we had done. Now, at this point in time, my parents had been dead for 11 years and I just got this overwhelming feeling of grief and loss and despair and the recognition that that I had killed myself. And I was like inconsolable. I threw myself on the bed. And, and then the awakening really started to take place in a in a very extreme way. And I asked the masculine voice who it was. And I already sort of had like this intuition of who it was. And I asked the masculine voice who who they were. And a notification came up on my phone. And a person had just posted an Instagram story. And I I knew that it was this man. And um So he guided me through my awakening process where I was greeted with loved ones that have crossed over. My father was there. Um, I couldn't really perceive my mother, but I, I was greeted by all of the energies just sort of morphed into one energy. And I was in this space and I could still perceive my body. And then this surge of energy was going up and down me. It was opening all my chakras up. And it was like causing me to pee myself. So half of my awakening was spent on the toilet. So my awakening lasted like seven hours. And I was transported to the space between life and eternity in my awakening in a non-physical realm, enveloped in unconditional love. I was taken through the fabric of creation I was shown my place in every pantheon, every mythological family. I was shown my place as the divine feminine energy in the family. So I saw myself in the garden as Eve with Adam and Eve. I saw myself as Isis with Osiris, uh, Shiva with Shakti. And, you know, I, I just, I perceived all of these, Jesus and Magdalene, all of these stories of this divine feminine and this divine masculine energy, and that my energy was too a part of that. And at first I thought that it was just me. I was like, oh my God, I'm Eve. I destroyed creation. And I took like all of this guilt and pressure upon myself. And then as I integrated my spiritual experience I realized that that's all of us. We all have feminine and masculine energy inside of us and it's divine. And so in my experience, I perceived that I was on some sort of spaceship is what it felt like. You know, there was no physical sight. There was nothing to actually see, but this was all what was coming into my mind's eye and my awareness. And it sort of looked like The Gravitron ride at carnivals, if you can remember what that is, sort of like a spaceship, you throw yourself against the walls, and it spins really fast, and there's no gravity. And that's what it felt like. And it felt like my spirit had come out of the side of it, out of one of the walls. And inside of this large ship, I was surrounded by hundreds of thousands of other souls. And I was told that we were on a divine mission, that we were here as spiritual soldiers, and we had volunteered to come to Earth to uplift the consciousness of the planet from a third dimensional level of thinking to a fifth dimensional level of thinking. And that my life up until this point had been boot camp, And now I had to go back for my divine mission. And I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) I don't want to go back. I I said, you guys don't tell us what earth is actually going to be like. It's way more difficult than you explain to us. And there's no way that I'm going back. And I sort of felt myself transform into a small child and I was stomping my hands and my feet on the ground. And I was like, I will not go back. And so then they took me through my pre-birth planning and they showed me that myself as a soul had chosen every piece of adversity in my life. And I had also chosen every opportunity to overcome. I just hadn't gotten to that part of the story yet. And so in my pre-birth planning download, I saw that I had chosen my, my to be an addict. I had chosen to be born to drug addict parents in a very dark family line. The reasons why I had chosen that. My parents and I chose their suicide together for specific reasons. I chose the partners that that would molest me as a small child, rape me as a young adult, beat me. I chose my husbands. I chose, you know, every choice in my life I had already chosen. And then I saw some other things like recovery was going to was one of the things that I had chosen all of these opportunities to overcome loves that would come in my life later experiences my mission my career, but I hadn't gotten to that part of my story yet and so I just, I just insisted that I did not want to come back, and they kept telling me that I had to. And I said, well, I can't go back into her. And I could see myself, like I was outside of my body. I could see my body in the bathroom still. And I said, I can't go back into her. She's glitched. She needs way too much healing. There's no way to accomplish that. I will not go back into her. And they said, okay, you don't have to go back into her, but you do have to go back. And so we'll show you who you'll be born into. And they showed me three babies. And then they only showed me one baby's timeline. and. they showed me everything that would happen in that baby's life. And, you know, I had already endured a lot of adversity in my life, a lot of trauma, a lot of really difficult things to get through. And this baby had even deeper levels of adversity, a life even harder than my own. And I had already gone through so much. And so I just threw my hands up in the air and I said, okay, I'll go back in her. You know, like there's no way that I can start over. I can't do it from zero. I'll go back and I'll, I'll figure it out. And um, I came back from this experience. I just wrote it off as drug-induced psychosis because who wouldn't? You know, I was an atheist. I was like, this was not part of my picture. So I just wrote it off as just some sort of like deep hallucination. and, And I would never be that messed up ever again. And I would just go about my life. And so I continued to use drugs. And and while while I was there, they told me that I had to let go of drugs, that that was the number one thing, that I could live a life beyond anything I've ever thought for myself. I just needed to let go of drugs. And I just did not know how to do that. You know, like nobody ever taught me how to be a person without using. It was all that I had ever known. And so I just continued to use. And then all of these divine synchronicities started to take place to make sure that I would go on to a different path like all of the drug dealers that i had been dealing with for over a decade all simultaneously decided to change their lives and stop selling drugs people that did not know each other so that i had no way to get them and drugs just began to not work you know i i had an opiate addiction which has a physical dependency to it so that was my main excuse you know like i can't stop using because i'm going to get too sick and i can't handle the sickness and I had, and because drugs had stopped working for me, I was in the midst of heroin withdrawal and I was on day three and, you know, that's the worst day, you know, like it's the day when you're sick all over yourself. It feels like your bones are on fire. You're sweating. Like, it's just the most agonizing pain that you've, you could ever think of. And I was right in the midst of it. And I heard this voice and it said, you can request what you would like fixed. And, you know, I was like in the the throes of desperation. I was willing to believe anything. So I listened to this voice and I was very over-intellectual about it. And I said, I want my pain receptors and my neurotransmitters fixed. I want to no longer be physically dependent on heroin. I didn't say that I wanted to be rid of my drug addiction because I still wanted to use other drugs. I just wanted to no longer be physically dependent on this one substance. And they told me to lay back. And in my, I closed my eyes and in my mind's eye, these two little men appeared. They were these little bald men and they were wearing white lab coats and then little lawn mowers popped up in front of them. And I watched them go through every crevice of my brain. And as they walked through the crevices of my brain, I could feel these intense, hot tingles going on through my brain. And I knew that I was being healed. And then I felt X's go across my forehead and it felt like a palm on my forehead. And then it felt as if somebody had put a plunger on the crown of my head and they plunged down. And in this bright white flash, I was instantaneously healed out of day three of heroin withdrawal. I mean, like one second before I was puking all over myself and the next second I was completely well. You know, and my, my path became crystal clear after that, you know, I found myself on a train with no destination, just like completely confused, lost, broken. I I didn't know what was going on. And a man appeared across from me and he was wearing a 12 step fellowship necklace. And I heard a voice and it said, that's your path. Follow him to a meeting. And that was on June 1st, 2019. And I've been clean ever since. And I went to a few more meetings over the next couple of days, and I found myself sitting next to the program director of a long-term rehab here in Brooklyn. And I just knew that it was another divine sign that I had to talk to her and beg her to help me. And I I was going to wait for the meeting to be over to talk to her, and when the meeting ended, she had left early. And I felt totally defeated. You know, I was like, oh my God, my plan. Now I can't talk to her. But, you know, I knew that I needed to go to treatment and I was going to call that facility the next day. And so I went on the bus to go home. And when I stepped onto the bus, that woman was sitting right there she had left the meeting early and somehow wound up on the exact same bus as me, not at the bus stop in front of the meeting. And I ran up to her totally manic. And I was like, oh my God, you're actually an angel sent to earth. You're here to help me. Please help me. Please, please, please. And she just looked at me so calm and she said, yeah, we'll help you. Come, come by tomorrow. We have a bed for you. And she was saying a sentence that was going to change my whole life, you know? And I went to that program the very next day with just the clothes on my back. I, there was nothing to take. I was about to be homeless and uh, you know, like my most prized possession was a $200 vibrator. I didn't have a lot going for me. So I figured if I could let go of that, I could do anything. (laughs) And um, I started on my journey into recovery and my recovery was my integration process. You know, like I had had this very transformative experience that I had no language for and I didn't receive any language in that facility. You know, I just, I just tried to cope with what was going on with me and all of the after effects that I had from that experience. I spent 17 months in that rehab. I spent a very long time learning how to be a person and how to integrate this experience. Um, after it, I could channel messages from Archangel Michael, uh, I practiced the art of bibliomancy which is where you open up a book to a random page and it speaks to you and at the time right after the awakening I would open up a book to a random page and it would be highlighted for me there would be like a box of light around exactly what I was supposed to read and I I just had like this insatiable thirst for knowledge I had never used my brain before you know the extent of my thinking was just where do I get drugs when can I use them what do I have to do to get them and that's it you know and so this was like my opportunity to really like quench my thirst for knowledge. And so while I was in this safe space where I didn't have to worry about rent or clothing or food or anything, all I, all I had to do was just sit and read and learn. I read every sacred text. I read everything I could get my hands on about metaphysics and the law of attraction. And I began to manifest my reality. And I started off with small stuff, you know, like I'm going to see a blue ball today. And then like they would take us out to go play handball and it would be with a blue ball um, and just like little random things like that. And then, then I started working a little bit harder and I said, okay, I want to go to school. And I, I went to school to become a recovery coach and now I have a job in the recovery field. You know, like I, I, used to, I used to do really unsavory things to make money and I caused a lot of harm to other people to make them, you know, make money for me as well. And today I have this amazing opportunity to make a universal amends and I assist people on their healing journeys today. And it's more than I ever could have thought for myself. Um, and I manifested in an apartment for myself. I was no longer homeless. I have a beautiful home now. And somehow I manifested the money to move in. I, I, you know, like all of these things are just these divine signs from the universe to assure me that I am actually on a divine mission. And that I need certain things to be able to carry my mission out, right? I need I need to be comfortable financially. I need to have a home. I need to have clothing. I need to have purpose in my life. And my purpose lies in the things that I'm passionate about. You know, like there's certain topics that I could talk about for hours and never get tired of, you know, like spiritual experiences are one of them. Recovery is the other. And that's what my life is today. And it's just beyond anything that I ever could have conceived for myself. When I entered the space of heaven, like just for the contrast of it, you know, I was a devout atheist, militant, radical atheist. I was an orphan to suicide. I was a meth head, you know, escort strung out on heroin on the verge of homelessness. I was a liar, a manipulator. I was a racist. I was a rapist. I was a pimp. I was a thief. You know, I was all of the things that you would think wouldn't get you into heaven. And there I was sitting in that space, absolutely enveloped in unconditional love. And it was as if my human life had never even happened, you know? So my past definitely doesn't define my present and I'm able to carry out whatever the universe wants me to in a, in a loving way. And yeah, thank you for letting me share.
1: (laughs) Betty, thank you for sharing with us. I think it would be best to address this first because I'm sure I'm going to see comments about this. You have had experience with different drugs and people may say, well, it sounds like she was just having a drug experience. So I want to let you address it first and say, how was this experience different from being on drugs?
0: Um, Okay, so I don't know if it's about like how different it is from being on drugs, you know, like the thing that made me realize that it wasn't just the drugs was all of the divine synchronicities and the healing that took place after. So I mean, I thought the same thing at first, I was like, whoa, I am so messed up, I will never be that messed up again, I just thought that it was some sort of like psychedelic adventure. But it's everything that happened after that absolutely solidifies for me that it wasn't that. And, you know, I like I said, I didn't have any language for what had happened to me. And I didn't find language for it for over a year and a half after the experience. And I saw the Surviving Death docuseries on Netflix. And the first episode is about near-death experiences. And I heard Mary Neal talk about her near-death experience. And I said, oh, my God, that's what it was. You know, so it took me a long time to find language and I didn't believe it at first either. And I, you know, it's, I don't think that. Uh, I don't like advocate for people to overdose on psychedelics or anything like that, you know, but I do think that there are certain medicines that are here to open up our awareness to certain things. I wasn't using them in any sort of sacred way. I was abusing drugs in every way that I could every, in any way that I could, because I just could not cope with what my experience was. So, yeah.
1: But it did sound like that you had an out of body experience at some point.
0: Definitely completely out of body. Yeah. When, when the awakening started to take place and all of my chakras started to open up, it was like, my spirit came right out of my crown, you know, like it opened and yeah, as soon as my crown opened, my spirit just left my body.
1: At a certain point there was a voice that gave you options or choices about coming back or, or choosing a different body. Who do you think that voice was?
0: For me it felt like it was a collection of voices that were one voice. At one point in the experience I perceived that I was standing in front of it felt sort of like a jury but I don't, I don't like wanna use that language because that seems kind of like condemning, but it did seem like there was a long table of people and that there was more than one energy speaking to me and telling me about this. And just through reading certain things and I, they didn't name themselves or anything, but I know that there's some information out in the collective about the Council of Nine and, and things like that. So I feel like it might've been just the collective itself but maybe like some ascended masters or something, but they never described exactly who they were, but it did feel like people that were in charge of something.
1: Now you had mentioned that you had done a lot of bad things in your life. While you were up there, did you feel, or now that you look back at it, do you feel that even though you had done all these bad things, you were still accepted and loved?
0: Yes. And you know, like this, intense feeling of unworthiness tried to wash over me. And it was like quickly combated away, you know, but yeah, once I came into this space, I couldn't even grab any of my life. You know, it was literally like I had woken up from a dream. And the only thing that I could remember was that my parents had committed suicide. And I just remember going like, whoa, that was crazy. And And I realized that I was in the vibration of unconditional love and and I just kept trying to grab at all these things, you know, like, I guess my consciousness was trying to piece back together the pieces of my life, but no, I was completely unconditionally loved. I was taken through the vibration of every emotion. I also felt the most extreme despair in the world as well, but unconditional love is the ultimate truth. And that's where I stayed for the rest of my experience.
1: Do you feel like you're clear on what your purpose or mission is? And if so, what is it?
0: Yeah. Um, so the download that I got very loud and clear is that my mission is to uplift the consciousness of the planet from a third dimensional level of thinking to a fifth dimensional level of thinking. Now, at first, I thought that that meant I had to actually go out and do stuff. So right after the awakening happened, I went out on the subway, I started sermonizing, I was like, stop eating McDonald's, it's poison. I was like, really just going totally insane. And then through my integration process, thank goodness for that, I realized that it's not actually about doing anything. It's just about shining brightly, you know, like, My testimony is one of complete and utter transformation. If transformation is possible for me, it's literally possible for anyone. There are no words in the human language to describe what kind of depraved animal I was before this experience, but it is not the person that is sitting here. And all I have to do is just shine. You know, like all I have to do is just be myself. I mean, I love sharing my story with people, but that's not always my purpose. My purpose sometimes is just to sit and listen and just to be that light for somebody.
1: Can you give us some more examples of the synchronicities that you experienced afterwards?
0: Oh my God, I would love to. (laughs) So when I first started manifesting my reality, I had read a book. It was Gabrielle Bernstein's book, The Universe Has Your Back. And in that book, it says that you can ask the universe a question, pick a sign. And if it's for your highest good, the sign will manifest in 24 hours. Now, at the time I was in treatment and I had like a crush on some guy and I was like, oh my God, is this guy for my highest good? And and the first thing that popped into my head for the sign was a squirrel. And it was the dead of winter. It was right before Christmas. There was snow on the ground outside. And I was so angry at myself for picking a squirrel. And so I wanted to hang out with this guy and I wanted to see the sign to know if I should hang out with him. And so I just scrapped the whole exercise. I was like, forget it. There's no way that I'm going to see a squirrel. Like I'm not even, it's, it's not for me. I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to do what I wanted to do. I'm going to go see the guy. And so I was walking to this guy's house and I'm looking at the snow beneath my feet. And I I get I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking on the sidewalk, and then all of a sudden a squirrel runs right across my feet and goes up this tree. And so I'm staring at this squirrel, and I'm I have my headphones in and I'm listening to this song about soulmates. And I look across the street, and the guy is standing outside waiting for me. And so it's like this whole little movie is playing out, like. I have the leading man, the soundtrack, the spiritual sign. It was so beautiful, you know? And I was like, whoa, magic is real. I can really manifest. This is amazing. And then the next day after that, I was walking down the street and I saw a random book on a mailbox. And I just had this twinge of intuition that it was there for me. And so I picked up the book and I opened it to a random page. And the title of the chapter was The Squirrel. Like these big huge words staring me right in the face. A random book, random street, random page, the squirrel. And I was like, okay, I get it. My brain exploded. I could not believe it. And the next day after that, I was walking down the street and I saw on the bottom of a lamp post a gigantic sticker of a squirrel. You know, so manifesting reality and synchronicities. As long as I'm open to them, they'll come at me in all sorts of ways. But the thing is, is that when I had thought of the exercise and doing that, I was—I thought that I was going to see like an, a real life squirrel. And that was, and, and I figured I wouldn't see one in the winter, you know? And so the universe is just waiting to surprise us in all of these super magical ways. I have so many cool stories like that. Another reason why I know that my experience was a true one, because yeah, just the whole world of magic has opened up to me since then.
1: Do you think that the universe is always speaking to us? It's just up to us to listen,
0: definitely. I think that the universe speaks through people, speaks through books, speaks through billboards. It's just how much awareness do we have? You know, like I feel like now you know everybody is so weighed down with distraction and myself included, you know, and so. The numbers, you know, like a lot of people talk about angel numbers or sequences of numbers. You know, that's a a great way for our guides to get our attention um, is because it grabs our attention because it's a sequence of something where everything else is just sort of chaotic and haphazard. And I'll just share my first experience with numbers with you really quick, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I, it was Halloween and I was charging my phone at a portable charging station. And I noticed that I had an 8% charge on my phone. It was 8.08 p.m. And I was looking at my bank account and it had $88.88 in it. And that was the first time that I ever noticed like numbers. I I took a screenshot. I was like, well, that's weird, you know. And then eight days later, I met this man and I found out that his life path number was eight in numerology. And then I found out that my life path number is also eight in numerology. And so that's like when the world of numbers opened up to me. And now I use angel numbers to discern so much stuff in my life.
1: Is there a significance with the number eight specifically?
0: Well, the number eight is the number of manifestation. It's the symbol of infinity. And in the, in numerology, which is kind of like astrology, but with numbers, um, it's got certain significance to it. It means like um, being able to lead and being business minded and stuff like that.
1: In my introduction of you, I said that you were a spiritual soldier. Can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah. So in my experience, I was shown that, like I said, I kind of perceived like a spaceship uh, that I was on. And I was shown that I'm a starseed from the constellation of Orion. And when I came back from the experience my computer just happened to be open nothing was on it like nothing was playing and then all of a sudden just like through the universe or whatever a Dolores Cannon video came on and started playing and I listened to this woman share about how she had channeled some information through putting people through a a hypnotic technique of regression therapy and that there are certain waves of volunteers and you know, it started playing by itself and that was weird enough. And then every thought that I was having while watching it, it was like she was answering my question directly, whatever question I was thinking she was answering it. And so, yeah, I resonate very deeply with that literature. Um, I, I perceive that I'm a second wave volunteer from the constellation of Orion sent here on this divine mission and that we're all on earth right now for the most exciting time that's ever happened in our collective. We are here for the ascension of earth, for the ascension of consciousness. And that's why we've all signed up to be here right now.
1: Do you believe prior to this life, you were on Orion or somewhere else? And this is your first incarnation to earth
0: this is not my first incarnation. Now I've been here for the, the whole of it. You know, like this Ascension cycle happens every 25,900 years. And I've been here for every single one of them. <laughs> and I can't wait to leave. No, I'm just kidding. You know, like time is a construct anyway. Like this is just something that like helps our, our linear minds, but I don't perceive this is my first time here. I know that I've been here for other lives before. And, um, I'm really hoping that this is my last one, though.
1: Why is that? Why do you want to go?
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like it's so dense here and I'm ready to experience other stuff. I mean, I believe that I'm already experiencing other stuff. Like, I know that this is a multiverse. It was some more of the information that I was downloaded with. We live in a multiverse. All sorts of things are happening simultaneously. And I know that I'm I'm incarnate in other galaxies right now at the same time you know like sometimes i can perceive those entities in my life um but yeah you know like i i really feel like the ascension is happening on earth anyway i don't think that any of us are going to have any more lifetimes here because i know that this is something that is shifting within the very near future so yay earth
1: <laughs> what would the old you 10 years ago think about the new you now
0: oh my god She would think that I'm such a square. In fact, I talk to her now, you know, like she's still a part of me. That's the thing. A part of my integration process as well. You know, like I really felt like I died, you know, like a a version of me died or maybe I really did physically die. And like, and I'm creating this whole new universe through my consciousness now, but I wanted to banish that last version of myself, you know, like when I came into spiritual awareness, I was like, I'm a spiritual soldier. I'm I'm this beautiful being of light. And I don't want to have anything to do with my darkness. Like she died. I don't want to think about her. I don't want to have anything to do with her, but that's not the way that it works. Not in my spiritual journey anyway. So part of my integration process is integrating her into my life. You know, like she stays with me through my process. All the versions of myself do. My inner child is here. Um, Yeah, the addict version of myself, my inner teenager, you know, there's all of these facets to myself as a soul that make up my higher self and um, my myself 10 years ago would think that I'm a total square, she would think that I'm so weird, you know I'm saying things that don't make sense. And, you know, I have a very robust community in my life today. I'm just surrounded by spiritual community. And that version of me 10 years ago was very isolated and only had friends that uh, could do something for her or she could do something for. And it was just like a very transactional life. So just to know that unconditional love exists, I think she would think that was pretty lame. Hmm.
1: Do you think that these other versions of you that you mentioned are just kind of like faded memories of you that have no control over you anymore?
0: No, (laughs) the pieces of me have lots of control over me. You know, like it's up to me to stay steadfast in my spiritual practices so that I can maintain a high vibration and be in my higher self, be in my light, be in my angels, my guides uh, because you know like my ego like the shadow version of myself she wants to have the center stage like she wants to be the driving force in my life but that's not where we're at now you know like i feel like i've i've had enough of being in the shadow like i want to be in the light but that doesn't mean that my shadow doesn't show up in situations you know like it's an every hour thing it's an every situation thing
1: in your opinion what will the ascension look like once it's happened
0: I don't think that it's going to physically look like anything. I think that we're manifesting new earth as we speak. Right now we're letting go of lots of constructs that don't serve us. We've seen a lot of chaos and discomfort in the collective recently in the last few years. And so these are the things that we're processing as beings of light. We're letting go of old constructs and we're trying to develop new ones. So I know that I'm doing that in my mission at least. You know, I'm not thinking about what doesn't work on earth because I don't want to manifest more of that. What I do is I concentrate on what I want to bring to new earth. You know, So there are certain things that I don't want to bring. I don't want to bring classism or racism. I don't want to bring poverty. I don't even want to bring the idea of money. And so I focus on, the opposite you know like I I try not to even say the words you know that I just said because when I say them I affirm that they're things and so yeah I don't think that it's necessarily going to look like anything per se I think it's going to be just sort of like maybe like what a near-death experience is just sort of this white light and then your opportunity to create whatever you want your your earth to look like
1: I also said in the beginning that you were an age an atheist So at this point, do you believe in God or a source or what?
0: Yes, I call God source, source energy. It's a source of energy that I come from as a piece of energy. You know, for me, God is not a gender or a race or a class. It's just an effervescent ball of unconditional love that I am sparked from. I am a devout believer, you know, and I and I use words like source and universe because they resonate more for me than you know, like the image that comes to my mind when I say the word God, you know, like I think of some old man in the sky with a beard, but like, that's, that's not what I, that's not what I experienced. And it's not what I perceive it's actually like. And yeah, I am definitely a believer today. I don't subscribe to any particular religion. I, I pick things from all of the religions that I like, and I get to develop my own spirituality around it
1: have you had any other paranormal or supernatural experiences that we haven't talked about yet?
0: Yeah. I want to share about my experience with uh, the concept of twin flames. So as I shared about the angel numbers coming into my awareness with all the eights, I had met a man who had the life path number eight in numerology and I do as well. And when I met this man, he was just like me. And this is when I was still using and I was like a, you know, a, a, a really hardcore hedonist. And I met this man and he was just like me. Like, you know, he was a party guy and, you know, like real reckless. And I thought that was so cool. And uh, we spent a couple of days together and then just completely separated. And I became very obsessed with the idea of him. Like I wanted to know more about him, but he didn't want anything to do with me. And he was the voice that had initially guided me through my near death like experience he brought me into the space of heaven and he was there with me the entire time and when I came back from the experience I felt like I wanted to tell him but him and I did not have a relationship with one another and after like so many signs and synchronicities and so much intuition telling me to go and see this person I basically went to his house and I broke in that's not crazy I know Um, I broke into his house and I was like, Hey, hi. Yeah, we're twin flames. Like we're here on a divine mission. What do you think? And he was like, you're a psycho. Get out of my house and I was like I'm telling you you know and I just I mean I was making such a fool of myself and and I I had no reason to like I don't need to make a fool of myself you know but there was just something deep within me that said you have this has to happen now and so I just stayed there and I said please just give me five minutes to talk to you and convince you of a couple of things and you know like the things that I was saying I was like our bodies are our 3D avatars. These are our skin costumes. It's not really who we are. You and I are cut from the same cloth. And again, he was like, you are a psychopath. Get out of my house. So an experience happened where he just kept telling me like, you're wrong, please leave. And, you know, like he started calling me names and he was getting like, you know, just like verbally abusive. And I, I just had this spot and I thought, man, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I just broke my brain. And and what am I doing here? Like, I'm making a fool of myself. This is crazy. And then he just sort of chuckled. But I hadn't said any of those words out loud. I had only said them inside my mind. And he chuckled. And I said, I said inside my mind, can you hear me? And he looked like very scared. And he took a step backwards. And I stood up and I said, you can hear me, can't you? And this is all going on inside my mind. And we were standing about 10 feet apart from each other. And then all of a sudden all of our chakras opened up and they connected to one another. And so our sacral chakra stayed open and it was like this orgasmic experience from 10 feet apart. And it was like, we were completely connected and the wheel that is our chakra just wouldn't stop spinning. And so we, we came a little bit closer to each other. I have bright blue eyes. And inside my blue eye, I have one brown speck underneath my iris in my right eye. And when I looked into his eyes, he had the exact same brown speck in his blue eye, in the mirrored eye. So it's my right eye, his left eye. So when we're looking at each other, it's literally like a mirror. And we experienced this telepathy, this chakra opening. We were both downloaded with each other's deepest, darkest shame. And we said it out loud to each other. And then I never saw him again. And, you know, like in my journey, I was like, but it's him. It's gotta be him. Like, this is my life. I'm supposed to be with this person. And he was the catalyst to my recovery journey. You know, like he rejected me over and over and over again. I knew that we had had this experience together. He had affirmed it for me. And, but it just, there was not going to be like any physical connection. And, So I only ever had him manifest in my life one other time. And it was when when I was in treatment, it was Halloween again. And I was looking up information on the internet about twin flames and manifesting your reality. And I read this article and it said, to properly manifest your reality, you must let go of outcome. You cannot be attached to how it happens or if it happens. And I said out loud to the computer, okay. If it doesn't happen in this lifetime, I'm okay with it. I know that it exists and that's enough. And I walked outside of the library and he was right there, right outside the library, right after, as soon as I had let it go, you know, and he hasn't manifested back into my experience since then. But, you know, like these things are real, you know, like It seemed like after my awakening, I woke up in a totally different universe. Things that were twin flames existed and the earth was called Gaia. That was not the reality that I was living in before, you know, so I really feel like something shifted in my life, but that was definitely a paranormal experience for me. Experiencing telepathy with another person, yeah, mind blowing.
1: In your definition of twin flames, are you saying that you and him are both pieces of the same higher self incarnated into two separate bodies. Yes. During your experience, do you feel like you were in heaven? And if so, can you describe what heaven is like?
0: I feel like I was in heaven. I feel like I was in sort of like a workshop of heaven because most of my experience was spent going through my mission and my pre-birth planning, I felt like I was sort of in classrooms. But the feeling of heaven itself was just this feeling of home. You know, like I I thought that I knew what home was on earth. Like, you know, I have a home to go to, like that's where I lay my head. But this was a deep feeling that it felt like You know, like every fiber of my being knew that I was home and could finally be calm and peaceful and full of joy because I was connected back to my source. That's what I think. Yeah, that's the best way that I can describe it.
1: If you don't mind me asking a personal question, what is your relationship like with your sister at this time?
0: I do not have a relationship with my sister at this point in time. And It's definitely something that I perceive a struggle with in my human storyline. We went through this very traumatic thing together and she watched me suffer with my addiction for many, many years. Um, I abandoned her, you know, because it was just easier to use drugs and not focus on being around another person. And um, after all of my experiences, I tried to explain them to her and they didn't really resonate for her. You know, the fact that I communicate with our father in the non-physical, it doesn't resonate for her. And yeah, we don't have any relationship with each other.
1: Are you still in contact with any of your friends or family that knew you prior to this transformation? And if so, what do they think about the new you?
0: I don't have a lot of people from my past. Most of the people that I was surrounded with were people that I used drugs with. And so that doesn't not conducive with recovery. So I have a lot of new people in my life. They don't even know who I was before. Uh, But I do have my cousin. She's like my best friend. And she's watched every stage of my journey from darkness to light. And it's amazing how when my reality shifted, her awareness opened up as well. And so, you know, like soon after the awakening, you know, we would talk about angel numbers and multidimensional stuff. And, it, you know, we're not necessarily, we don't have the same beliefs around all of it, but it's just amazing that because my perception opened up, the people around me's perception has also opened up.
1: Are you practicing meditation or any other thing right now in your life to continue your spiritual journey?
0: So I study A Course in Miracles, which is a metaphysical text channeled by Jesus, um, and it has a workbook inside of it. So I do the workbook lessons, and I belong to a study group for it. I don't have like a very strict meditation practice. I meditate for five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night, and yeah. You know, like I, I practice the art of bibliomancy. I let books speak to me as if it's source speaking directly to me. So that's a big part of my spiritual practice. And I belong to a group for near-death experiencers and spiritual experiencers on the IONS platform. And I've studied the Baha'i faith as well. So these are all the things that I do to keep myself tuned up on my spiritual journey and to expand my awareness even more.
1: After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they reach you?
0: Yes, I'm totally open to that. I would love to connect with anybody. Uh, I'm on Instagram. My handle is Buddha.Betty. And that's my handle on everything on Facebook as well. Please feel free to reach out. I would love to connect. I feel like part of my spiritual purpose is also bringing community together. So I just, I love meeting people who are interested in the subject matter, experiencers themselves. You know, like if you're interested in recovery or anything that goes along with that, please, please reach out to me. You know, like there's a lot of hope out there and I'd love to share some of it with you.
1: Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message?
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I think so. Yeah, I was talking about this before, but Wayne Dyer has a quote. When I believe it, I'll see it. And that is, I think, the most profound spiritual message. If you believe, the universe is waiting to show you. So believe, believe, believe. Anything's possible.
1: Betty, thank you for that message. And thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.